0: Hello and welcome to episode 105 of Inside the WDF with me, Andrew Sinclair. It's a packed show this week with a recap of the British Open and the British Classic in Bridlington, the recent ranking action in Australia and New Zealand, a discussion of the WDF's announcement regarding the World Masters last week and two fun interviews with recent tournament winners Peter Machen and Shane McGurk. Kick off this week by talking about the British Open and Classic. The British Open was the, the headline attraction of the weekend, the gold-ranked event, which offered world championship places to the winners, and those places were claimed by Reese Colley and Lisa Ashton. Ashton, the, the four-time world champion, she was well on the way to picking up a spot anyway after winning the Pacific Masters back in August and enjoying a few deep runs in other big events. But Reese Colley's win in the Men's Open shows the value of those WDF gold events for me. Other people won't necessarily agree, and I know there are people who don't like the golden ticket system that the WDF introduced a couple of years ago, but I am a big fan of it. You know, it means that for people that don't do the tour, and, and in these current financial climates where it's more and more expensive to do the tour and harder for a lot of players to justify, it means that you've got the opportunity to capture lightning in a bottle in a sense on one day, have one good run and achieve that goal of of qualifying for the world championships. Rhys Colley was playing the Challenge Tour Friday and Saturday, went up to Bridlington and then produced some excellent darts. And now he's going to be playing in the the world championship next year, achieving a lifelong dream and and fulfilling a promise he, he made to his grandfather. So, for me, that's really special. And if you look at the rankings now, the, the seasonal ones anyway, the 180 points he's got for winning the gold, they're the only points he's got this season. And that means that him, just like Sebastian Biavetsky, who won in, in Denmark earlier in the year, they're just in those world ranking qualification places. And, you know, by the time the season's all said and done, looking at a cutoff of probably around 195, 200 points, they might not actually have qualified for the world championship so for me this golden ticket system it means that those big events mean more during a year and winning them means something come the end of the year in terms of his performances i thought reese Colley played really well during the day he produced seven 90 plus averages in his eight wins and in the final came from three one down to win it six four winning five legs on the spin Some really good stuff from Chaos, and I'm looking forward to seeing him at the World Championships next year and hopefully speaking to him on next week's show as well. Uh, Lisa Ashton was superb, as usual. She broke her highest recorded career average in the quarterfinals, hitting a 105.47 against Fonsau and Willis. She'd beaten Bo Greaves the round before that and then... You know, semi-finals and finals showed more of her battling instincts to win scrappier games with Anka Zilstra and Eileen de Graaf. The British Classic titles were won by James Richardson, who wedged out a high-quality final with Gary Stone. The men's Classic was, was a weird one, really. It was one of those where I, don't, I didn't quite, in real time, understand how Gary Stone had lost it, because he played very well through six maximums, a 96 average, and he was more or less on a finish in every leg, but it it just seemed that as the game went on, the legs were falling for, for James Richardson, and he got to the finish line first, but it was a very good game, and it's good to see James winning, because he's clearly enjoyed doing the WF Tour since, since leaving the PDC, he's clearly enjoying his dance again, second title of the year for him, and I think he's... Got a really good chance at that World Masters later in the year in the World Championships next year. He was on the show a few months ago talking about how he's trying to pursue a healthier lifestyle now. He's, he's lost a bit of weight, he's walking more, and he seems to be, you know, fitter and sharper. And that's helping him on those long days on the, the WDF. A really good weekend for him in general, really, you know, qualified to, to play in the England team next year through the qualifier on the Friday also won the pairs with his son Josh I seem to think they're the first father and son duo to to win the British Open pairs so a really good weekend for him and a word on Gary Stone too because he's not had a great crack of it on the W.F. tour since the, the pandemic sort of came to a close or we got back to a normal uh, way of things but he looked really sharp in Bridlington got to the final in the Classic and beat some really good players to to get there, Carl Wilkinson, Mike Warburton, Dave Prince, Rhys Robinson, and then in the Open got to the last 16, a couple of hundred plus averages during the weekend as well. So I hope that continues for Gary because he's a really good player to watch and certainly someone that would make a world championship field stronger. Women's Classic was won by Bo Greaves, who picked up her ninth title of the year uh, by beating Lisa Ashton in the final before I move on to the first guest on this week's show, I just want to pick out a few players who caught my eye during the British Open weekend. Uh, Mark Barilli is one. He got a brace of, of quarterfinals, one in the Classic, one in the Open. Mark was in really good form earlier this year, getting to the final of the, the Dutch Open. And then he lost his passport, as far as I understand and That's meant that he's not been able to travel the, the last couple of months. But he was back in action here and got those two last eight runs didn't play at a blow away standard of darts, but he was good. He was competitive and he beat what was in front of him. And you do that over the course of the year and you're going to be in the top 10, top five of the rankings, which is where he's shaping up to be right now. So good see mark playing, uh, another Scott as well, Davey Kerwin. He played really well to, to get to a semi-final on the WDF tour. He's someone that's seemingly growing and improving all the time. Uh, and, uh, you know, to, to finish off the the Scottish mentions, I'll also talk about a friend of the show, Sean McDonald, who still wasn't quite at his best during the weekend, and I know he's frustrated by the fact they're only playing best of five, but he got points on both days during the weekend, and those points look like they're gonna put him in good shape for the end of the season. Couple of other male players to mention as well. Mike Gillett, he was another one like Reese Collie, who'd been playing the challenge tour earlier in the weekend. He came up to to Bridlington to play in the Open and he got to the quarter-final, which is another good run. Again, someone who's improving as the year goes on and he's right in the mix now for the the business end of the season. And Chris Landman. Chris seems to be peaking and trending in the right direction. 6 quarterfinals this year. He'd been to a a semi-final not that long ago in Sweden and now into his first final of the year. And to be honest, when he was 3-1 up, I thought he was going to win it. So... He's steady and his performance are improving in the right way and I definitely think he'll win a title before the end of the season. And just a note on one of the women's players, Noah Lynn van Leeuwen, the Dutch player. She got a quarter-final and a semi-final and she's someone who's a new face on the tour this year but she's someone who's acclimatising really well, made her stage debut in the the British uh, Classic semi-finals and I think she's someone we're going to be seeing a lot more of. She produced a ninety-two average in one of the rounds of the, the classic and pushed Bogreaves very very hard in the semi-finals. Still adjusting to the tour and and all of those kind of things, which playing very well and I definitely think she's another one who has got a title in her near future. Moving away from the the British Open British Classic weekend and over to Australia, where Peter Machin holds a, a commanding lead in the regional ranking table after winning two events earlier this year. Peter and I caught up last week to discuss his strong year to date, rediscovering his identity following the pandemic, his new 180 darts, why playing in the Australian Darts Open was extra special for him, aiming for a World Championship debut next year and helping his son Ethan grow into the sport of darts. I'm now delighted to be joined by the former World Trophy winner Peter Machin. Peter, how are you? I'm good, Andrew. I'm going well. How are you? Very well, very glad to to have you back on the show. The last time we spoke was back in August 2020. What's been keeping you busy since then?
1: Uh, COVID and work at the moment. Um, Managing a bottle shop here in Australia, it's pretty busy. And uh, everyone likes to have a beer or two, so that's pretty full on. And uh, getting back into the darts now, it's doing a bit of travelling this year. So, yeah, trying to get back into that.
0: And the, the COVID rules in Australia were, were quite tight and they often changed at quite short notice. So how much starts did you actually get to play last year, 2021?
1: Uh, last year we started get, getting back into normality. 2020 was just a no-show. Um, we had a lot of uh, cut-offs, even up to the end of last year, really. we you know There'd be snap lockdowns. So if you travelled, you, you, you took your life into your hands because you could have got stuck somewhere and... You weren't able to get back for a few weeks, and then there was we had to isolate for two weeks when you got back from a certain state, and yeah, it was really really hard. So darts was done online, and my internet wasn't really flash, so I uh, I didn't worry about it too much on on the online scene.
0: I noticed earlier this year that you've got some new darts out with with 180 your, your sponsors. How did those darts change from sort of the previous equipment you were using?
1: Uh, the same barrel shape just a different knurling and we put a bit of gold on there just to make them a little bit more prettier than the other ones and um yeah that was it i'll let i'll let uh, lucas at 180 and hit that design team uh do their thing on that they know more than what they're doing and everything so yeah i'll let them do it
0: Mm. and they look quite a, a sort of a short dart from you know the point to the end of the flight is that right or is that just the the trick of the camera
1: no, no, that's it. The, the barrel's 38 mil long. They've got a 32 mil point, uh, 32 point, uh, millimeter point in them. So they are a very short dart. Uh, I based them on, the, on, the, on the on the on John Lodar.
0: And uh, this year, you've managed it to, to get back on the the WDF circuit. Events have started up again. And back in April, the first event on that sort tour for you in a couple of years, the first event for South Australia in a couple of years was the Murray Bridge. Grand Prix, did it feel a bit special to win that one, given the, the kind of no darts for the previous couple of years?
1: Yeah, it did, and I won the very uh, first tournament at uh, the Murray Bridge um, Grand Prix event for the Anzac weekend, so it was good to get my name back on that trophy, um, been having my name on it for the first time, so yeah, very, very special.
0: And you've you mentioned it already, you've started travelling interstate again this year, you know, with things opening up again, was it always your plan to start travelling again and chasing those WDF points this year?
1: Yeah, I wanted to get back into it. I sort of lost my identity a little bit according to my friends, um sort of changed a little bit and missing out on things that I was have been normal for me for the last ten years. So yeah, it's been awesome to be able to get back out, travel and and you know play other tournaments and you know meet new players and and old old friends. so it's been fantastic in that sense.
0: Hmm. And you say losing your identity. In what what sense do you mean?
1: I've always been the dark player. I've been traveling, you know, all around Australia, traveling the world with the Australian team, and sort of not doing that. It sort of I sort of felt lost. So, like a lot of people probably would have done, just you know, we weren't able to travel. You weren't able to do anything, and you know, I in two thousand nineteen in Romania, I made the final of men's world in the World Cup singles. Uh, And I was sort of, you know, getting back on track again and then all of a sudden we just stopped. And it was like, you know, what am I going to do with myself now? I just just felt a little bit lost.
0: Playing darts again and and travelling around Australia has been the the priority, but how good has it been able to to go around and see your friends and your family again for the first time in a couple of years?
1: It's fantastic. I'm actually up in Townsville at the moment with a cousin of mine and I haven't seen her for uh, probably 10 odd years. So it's been good to be able to catch up with friends and family and, and be able to travel And uh, have no restrictions
0: it's good. Hmm. And what's the atmosphere been like at the the dark competitions in Australia this year I imagine it's quite quite bubbly and stuff everyone happy to see each other again.
1: Oh definitely definitely you know we've just had the Australian Championships and the Australian Open and a lot of people that don't normally travel you sort of see them once a year Um, it's been really good to to catch up and see everyone it's been like a party sort of sort of thing and it's just been really good to see everybody and, and be able to play darts and catch up and and you know do all the stuff that you used to do before COVID.
0: The Australian Open in August was a big event for the WDF, but how big was it as a goal to chase for for yourself and other players in the Australian scene?
1: Uh, for me personally, it was it was uh, really big because I've got a son that lives over in WA that I don't get to catch up and having, you know, the COVID around we, we were unable to travel and WA was one of the last base to open up their borders. So I never got to see him for a couple of years. And um, he wanted to come and watch me play. So he wanted to come to the Open and come and watch me at the Championships. So for me, that was a big thing to make a make the state side for South Australia and then be also qualify for the Open so that he could have that experience with me. Um, and I found that very, very important for myself. So it was good to, to mo- a good bit of motivation for me to get back on the board and, and start playing well again.
0: And you were in the opening game of the tournament against Leon Towns as well, so was there a bit of pressure on you to, to go out and perform first up?
1: Yeah, there was. I, I dropped the first leg against Leon, and I think it was about 27 darts. I'm going, like, oh, come on, Pete, you know, you can do better than this. And so Leon got that first peg, and I went, OK, right, you know what you've got to do now. And I went through, and I, I, I cleaned back up again, and I played some semi-decent darts. So... Yeah, it was a little bit of pressure playing first game up, but um, I got the win, which is what I wanted, and and you know end up making it through to the quarterfinals.
0: And was it an emotional win as well? Given that you know the last time you'd been on a big stage like that was, as you said, that the World Cup final two and a half years before.
1: Yeah, it was. It was good to get the win, and um, and and just you know feel at home again. I love playing up on the stage and I really enjoy it so it was just good to be up there again.
0: And how would you assess your performance in the Australian Open? You got the win over Leon and topped the group because you beat Justin Thompson and then lost in the, the last eight to, to Raymond Smith.
1: A little bit disappointing. Missed doubles early on against Ray but Ray's Ray. Um, you know, he, he's phenomenal. He's scoring, he's, he's finishing. Uh, he's, he's just someone that really works hard uh, he understands his own game and and everything, and the way he analyzes everything, he's just he's top notch. He really is. So I was disappointed because I knew that I if I got in early, I would have given myself a good chance, and I and I missed a couple of shots early on, and I knew that cost me at the end. And, and Ray just powered on, and and you know obviously went through and 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 won the open. So you know really happy for Ray to to be able to go through and do that. So yeah
0: and after the Australian Open you had the Australian state championships now when we spoke before you said that you know south australia have a really good pedigree in that sort of tournament and you ended up winning the mixed pairs with kim mitchell talk to me a little bit about that tournament win and what it meant to you
1: oh that was sensational kimmy's had like a 20 year break from darts and uh, she came back just before covid kicked in so she wasn't able to sort of do too much with her with her darts um, but she's worked really, really hard. She's, she topped our South Australian ladies team. Uh, to go through and play a lot, we did. We played a few tournaments and we've had uh, a couple of successes and some not so much. But to go through and beat Tomo and Tori, who won, I think, four years previous to that, uh, that was just icing on the cake for me. That was just, yeah, it was nearly as good as the win that I had in Adelaide uh, with my wife in yeah. the mixed doubles. So, yeah, really, really
0: special that was. Hmm. I was going to say you've got some history with that mixed pairs tournament because uh, when when you and your wife won it, I think you were the first team from South Australia to win the mixed pairs.
1: I think I know we're well, the first husband and wife. I'm not too sure on the history of it all, but um, yeah, it was the win. The win with my wife
0: was really awesome. Moving, moving ahead slightly. Earlier this month, you had a big weekend in Tasmania, a rare sort of double-header on the, the WDF circuit in Australia. Is it expensive to travel over to Tassie for you guys?
1: Yeah, that... It, it cost me, oh, I think, $600 Australian in flights. I was fortunate enough to, to have um, the president of Darts of, uh, Tasmania put me up for the weekend and, and tour me around, and that was really special, seeing all the gorge and the, the countryside of Tasmania. Um yeah, it's, it's not cheap to travel to do all this. So I'm just lucky that I've got a wife and a job that allows me to do it. Mm,
0: definitely. And uh, you picked up one title there and, and then lost the, the final. How would you assess where your game is at the moment coming off that weekend?
1: Uh, come off that weekend, I was really, really happy. I had two darts to win the second day at uh, 32. Wasn't to be, and young Steve, Patrick, uh, Steve Fitzpatrick played solid you know, both days. So he, you know, I know the first day he took out Corey Cadby in the semi-final, um, and just played absolutely phenomenal. So you know I had to be on my game to beat him. So I'm pretty happy with how I was, how I'm go- come how I'm going coming out of that weekend.
0: And uh, I noticed that your daughter edited your Wikipedia page a little while ago. <laughs>
1: Yeah, my youngest daughter, she thought it'd be quite funny to do that. So, yeah, I didn't realise until someone sent it to me um, what she'd actually done. So, yeah, she's a little prankster and you got to love her for that.
0: <laughs> yeah, so I remember when Justin Thompson came over to play at Lakeside the first time, someone had edited his to say that he was like, he worked as a crocodile wrangler or something. And uh, they read it out on commentary and it was like, he definitely doesn't do that. So, yeah, it was funny.
1: No, he definitely doesn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah any, anyone can edit your Wikipedia page. So yeah, good luck to him.
0: Hmm. And I've seen that your son Ethan's playing a lot on the, the youth circuit and stuff now. Are you practising together at home?
1: Yeah, we're trying to when we've got time to. We practise together. He's got uh, state trials this weekend uh, in Adelaide. And I'm up in Townsville at the moment here for a a, a tournament. So yeah, he's... His game starting to lift, and he's starting to, you know, build himself with his confidence in his game. So it's it's really exciting to see and see where he can go.
0: Mm. And in those uh, practice sessions, is Dad still coming out on top?
1: Uh, I don't practice against him; I practice with him. <laughs> I just find that it's more beneficial for him and me to practice with him. Mm-hmm. So I do same as what I did with Debbie when we won the the uh, Australian mixed doubles. We just play one seventy nine darts, and we change it up if we and we try and beat our, beat the losses. So if you don't go out nine darts, that's a loss, and we just try and, and beat ourselves. Hmm. So, yeah, I've worked with him, not against him.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. Given your, your performances this year, you're just outside the top 20 in the main WDF ranking table and you're top of the Australian regional ranking table, which at the moment would put you on a provisional world championship place. From what we you know discussed when you are on the show last time, it would mean the world to qualify for that World Championship, wouldn't it?
1: Oh, definitely. It's something I've not really chased in this year. I've got my heart and and soul set on it, which is why I'm up in Townsville. We've got two other tournaments, so I'm going to face it after what happens this weekend of what I'm going to do. And, um, yeah, I want to get to England. I want to get into into the World Championships and and, and play in that, Hmm.
0: for sure. Yeah. I suppose is it frustrating in a sense that you're obviously chasing those points this year and chasing those goals but there's not really been any official news from the WDF yet on the the World Masters or the World Championship next year.
1: Oh, a little bit, but I'll just you know, we're getting back more back to normality now. So, after having the World Championships last year they'll postponed and they'll put on earlier in the year or later in the year, sorry. Um I'm quietly confident it'll go ahead. I think now the world's sort of starting getting back to some sort of normality. Uh, So I'm I'm hopeful that it'll go ahead and and I'll be on that stage. Hmm.
0: And as you said, you're up in Townsville this weekend for the the North Queensland Classic. I'm guessing that you want to win, but do you have any other sort of specific goals for the weekend?
1: I'm just chasing points at this point. Um, You know, I I don't want to put the pressure on myself to have to do it. So it's just more about just playing the best that I can, getting as far as I can. And I think I I pretty much haven't got worse than a quarter-final or semi-final this year. I think semi-final's my worst I've done in a Grand Prix event in, in Australia. So, you know, my, I'm, my form's my forms there. I uh, just need that luck, a bit of luck on the day.
0: And as you say, there are two more events this year, one in WA and one in New South Wales. Will your decision to travel to those be dependent on sort of how well you do this weekend and then how that ranking table looks at the start of next week
1: yeah it'll be i'll be basing it all on that and then also airfare costs uh this weekend was 1200 dollars to get up to to townsville so i've got to get to to perth uh, and then it's a two-hour drive out to bunbury so you've got to sort of be able to put it all in together and you put car hire and accommodation and airfares and all that sort of gear so we'll see how it goes to see if it's you know if i if it's really worth traveling or if, if i'm going to be out of it then just go on the regionals
0: in terms of those air fares have you noticed that they are substantially more than they were say pre the pandemic
1: if you i've, I've been booking them pretty much close to, so i've been paying a little bit extra but if you plan the year out uh, I've got you know, Aaron and Lynn Morrison come up this weekend, Trent and Kim Mitchell come up this weekend, and they've paid a core of the price that I've paid. So you know, you've got to plan the year out, which is one thing I've not really done. I've not, I sort of did this on a, after the Australian Championships and seeing where I landed on, and where I fell on my feet. So it's sort of been a, a late-minute decision. But uh, yeah, you've sort of got to pick your tournaments and plan it and book your affairs in advance to, to get the better prices.
0: Well thank you so much for your time today Peter I really appreciate it and I wish you the best of luck for this weekend, the rest of the year and hopefully see you over in the UK next year. Thanks Andy, I really appreciate it. I really enjoyed catching up with Peter again last week he's probably the the strongest player on the Australian scene over the last four or five years to have not played at a world championship and that seems weird in many ways given that he won the world trophy back in 2017 but Hopefully in 2023 he gets to achieve that dream and put that right. Peter was in action as, as we discussed this past weekend at the North Queensland Classic at a silver-graded event in Townsville and he lost out in the semi-finals so maintained his good run this year and his lead in the regional rankings is now 100 points. The titles in Townsville were claimed by Kim Mitchell and Aaron Morrison who themselves are both now in Provisional World Championship Places, Kim won her second title of the the year in the, the women's classic, and what a comeback it's been for her this year. She, as Peter said, she was away from the sport for more than twenty years, before coming back. Uh, you know, early twenty twenty, and properly this year, she's won two titles in the WDF, got to another final, won a title in the DPA circuit as well, and she's immediately in the top two or three women in Australia, and. With no Tory Kewish in Townsville, it, it seemed almost natural that she was going to capitalise. And I look forward to having Kim on the show very soon. The men's classic was won by Aaron Morrison, fellow South Australian, and he's now overtaken Mal Cumming into that second provisional regional world championship place behind Machin. Aaron's a natural combination finisher, that's always been the biggest strength of his game, and that was apparent in the tournaments. He took out a number of big finishes, including two in the final. It was his first title since January 2020, so one of the last Australian tournaments just before uh, the COVID restrictions all came in. And now Aaron's right in the mix for that World Championship debut with just two tournaments left to go in Australia, the silver-graded Bunbury Classic next month and then the Newcastle Classic in November in New South Wales, which is a bronze tournament. There was one other event this past weekend, the bronze-graded Auckland Open in New Zealand. Titles went to Mark Cleaver and Nicole Raynaud. Lovely to see Nicole back among the the title mix. As I said, she's one of my favourite guests on the show this year. Although, you know, from the the New Zealand events, it was frustrating to learn that Victoria Monaghan is still experiencing issues with some of the other players and so on. It's very frustrating that the New Zealand Dark Council haven't done anything yet about all of that. Uh, it looks as though they're going to wait till the end of the ranking season to start issuing punishments and so on to the players for... For not apologising to Victoria and the abuse they've given her at tournaments so far this year I'm not really sure that's the right approach because that effectively means that kind of those bigoted views and, and attitudes and comments are going unpunished or you know, you know they're only going to be punished at a time that's expedient for the federation and organisation, I know there's more to it than that and they're doing things in the best way they can and it's a new situation for them to deal with but you do have to feel for her not being able to to go to tournaments and feel that that she's being accepted and she's able to play with the the right freedom and so on. But uh, that and aside, good win for Nicole. Nice to see her get the win over Wendy Harper because Wendy had been getting the the better of her in those meetings this year. But you know they've met five times in all. Uh, Wendy was winning three one going into Auckland, but it's three two now. Uh, Mark Cleaver in the men's. He's a very steady player, one of the most underrated in the New Zealand circuit. He'd won the Auckland Open twice before including the last time it was run back in 2019. Since then of course we have had the pandemic but he'd been to two finals in New Zealand ranking events and lost in narrow last leg deciders in both of them so it was good to see him get over the line this time. With Hopai Puha over at the World Series where he pushed Dirk van Divenbode very hard in the first round uh, the door was open for, for maybe somebody else to challenge and Ben Robb went out in the semis and Mark then went through to, to claim the title. So good to see somebody else picking up a win. It was interesting on the New Zealand front because I saw a tweet recently, uh, Yetzi Sadi, who does the the ranking updates on Twitter that I know players are a big fan of. I, I saw him mention in one of his ranking posts that, you know, maybe there were too many events in New Zealand, which in many ways I thought was a bit of a daft comment, really, because if you look at the calendar, the Ten events in New Zealand this year, which is one more than there will be in the USA when all is said and done, and two or three less than there are in the UK and Ireland region, and three or four less than there will be in the Eastern European region. So I I think the issue that you have is that you know in the New Zealand scene, they have generally very small women's fields. The last two events have had 22 and 19 players. And the men's events are, you know, somewhere usually between 65 and 100. And both are dominated by very strong male and female talent. So the men's scene this year has been dominated almost exclusively by Hopi Puha and, and Ben Robb. Yes, Johnny Tartar and Mark Cleaver picked up titles recently. And Tahuna Irwin's been playing well. But by and large, Hopi and Ben have been sweeping up most of the points. And. As far as the women's goes, that the titles have been shared by Victoria, Wendy Harper and Nicole Renault. So if you're going to have a number of tournaments and the federation are playing sanctioning fees so that most of those tournaments are going to be silver and you're regularly picking up 34 for a semi-final, 56 for a final or 90 for a win, you're inevitably going to do well both on the regional ranking table but also the, the main table as well. It's one of those things, you know, Whether the model's foolproof or not, I don't know, but it was certainly something that made me think anyway. But the the winners of those events in Australia and New Zealand uh, have all qualified for the World Masters later this year. Now, regular listeners of this show will have heard me rant on here about the lack of information for the players on the the World Masters and the the World Championship. Someone joked to me that I was probably going to end up on the, the naughty step for some of my comments. And then I was on the Weekly cast last week filling in for Burton DeWitt and Alex Moss, good friend of the show. He asked me about it and, you know, I made similar comments there that I have here. And, you know, coming back to this show, guest on the show last week, Lorraine Winstanley, she spoke about the lack of information and the sort of effect it has on her and other players. Well, the WDF did put out an update last week on Friday evening which said that they and the the Nederlandse Darts of Bond, the Dutch Federation, were happy to announce initial details for the, the World Masters, confirming that it would start on the 8th of December, as originally advertised. They said that during the tournament, there would be the World Open, which was supposed to happen last year for the first time, would happen this year as a silver-graded event. The World Paradarts World Masters would take place during the, the weekend, and... Following the conclusion of the World Masters, there would be qualifiers for the World Championship, so all in all, a five-day festival of darts in Assen. You will also see in the press release that they've you know updated the qualification criteria for the men and the women, just so that the dates are now right, and a list of fully qualified players of so men, women, boys and girls was on the website as well. In theory, there will be 64 seeded players in the Men's and Women's World Masters. Those seedings will be based on the rankings on the 28th of November, with the top two players in every group progressing to the knockouts. Uh, Group sizes obviously will be determined by the number of entries in the tournament. That came out on Friday and inevitably drew a reaction. I've seen a lot of commentary since then from players and fans alike. And I've got a few thoughts myself, so I thought I'd try and express them here. And I'm very interested here whether people, you know, agree with what I've got to say, disagree. I've got thoughts of their own. Certainly something worth discussing. So I'll start with the positives. It was very good that the WDF put a statement out because it, it ends what had been a very long period of radio silence about the majors. There had been nothing on the, the World Masters this year, nothing on the World Masters really, since last year's tournament was postponed, which was roughly this time last year, and there's been nothing on the, the World Championship since Lakeside ended in April. So it ends that radio silence and I think assures some of the people who who worried that maybe the WDF wasn't in the strongest of positions. And what the statement also does is confirm that the tournament is on. So for the players who were worried that it wasn't, they definitely know that it is now on. So if they're planning to go, they can, they can work around that. However... There are some negatives, though, and there are some things that I want to talk about that, you know, are not so favourable in relation to what they put out. So the first thing to point out is that there was a lot not clarified in there. They acknowledged in the press release that stuff wasn't clarified. Things like playing schedules, playing formats, how much it's going to cost to, to enter the tournaments, hotel packages, prize money for the World Masters, prize money for the World Open and TV coverage of the World Masters. None of that stuff was in there, and while they've acknowledged that stuff's not in there, for that not to be qualified still raises alarm bells for players. Players want to know what they're playing in, in terms of a format, and what they're playing for in terms of prize money before going. Particularly, as I've always said, those players who are coming from much further afield, think your Australians, your New Zealanders, your Canadians, your Americans, your players from the Asian regions. They've got to commit an awful lot more financially in terms of flights and then they've got to pay the same accommodation and everything else. So they need to know what they're playing for. And I think the issue of expense is the other thing that concerns me. Having a five day festival means that players realistically need six nights of hotels in Assen and that's not going to come cheap. And then you've got to think of food and drink for all of that time. I saw various players coming out with various costings and stuff I think €1,000 is not an unrealistic a- estimate for how much you need to spend to cover yourself for what's effectively going to be five, six days in addition to your airfares. And that's, in this current climate, probably more than a lot of players can afford and actually maybe want to spend that close to Christmas. And that, of course, is going to have an effect on entry numbers. And then the third thing, and this sort of ties into the expense and they're uh, not being a lot clarified is is I question the merit of having the world open yes it gives players something else to do if they've been eliminated from the, the world masters and follows up on the WDF's commitment that Nick Rolls and Richard Ashdown have spoken about on the show before that they want players coming over for the world masters to get their money's worth to, to get the value out of the trip but I'm not sure the need of putting on a silver graded tournament while the other one is going on it. It seems at a complication that's not necessary in it. You know, if you want to put your cynical hat on, is it a means by which a number of Dutch players who've not done a lot of the tour but are close to the, the ranking cut-offs would then have another tournament to play in to potentially bag a World Championship place for the following month or so's time? I don't know. But, you know, the statement was good and I think my initial reaction was like, oh, great, they've said something, but, you know, a bit more critical thought. It's like, well, actually... It's not confirmed a huge amount and we need to know more and the players need to know more and they need to know it fairly soon. From what I understand, the WF have got quite a big meeting on the 27th of this month, 27th of September. I'm very hopeful that that will see a lot of stuff get signed off and confirmed and then hopefully they can share further updates on the World Masters and the World Championship after the Europe Cup, which is at the end of this month. But on a brighter note about the World Masters, someone who did qualify for that tournament uh, earlier this month was Shane McGurk, who won his first WDF title at the FCD Anniversary Open in Catalonia at the beginning of September. Shane and I caught up last week to discuss that win, his career to date and his aims for the future. I'm now delighted to be joined by Ireland's Shane McGurk. Shane, how are you? I'm good, Andrew. How are you? Very good, very glad to get you on the show. We'll, we'll talk about your FCD anniversary open win in a, a little bit, but I want to go back to the beginning with you. Where did you first get into darts?
2: Darts was always big in our house. You know, my dad played it, my brother played it, and I played it. So I think from a young age, we always just had a dartboard up and there was always something to do, you know. And um, we kind of just got into it and then eventually started playing each other. and Got good at it and decided that we'd start to go to a few competitions.
0: Was there quite a competitive rivalry between you, your brother and your dad?
2: Ah, yeah. It, it always is. But it's good, it's good fun, you know. It keeps you, it keeps you going. keeps keeps you interested in dirt, I think. Hmm. I think then the interest kind of just grew on from there.
0: You know, you're from, from County Monaghan. So what, was it through sort of the Irish youth circuit that you first started getting into more meaningful competitions?
2: Uh, No, I I never actually played the Irish youth circuit, Um, um, just never really got around to big competitions like that at that time, it was kind of more so when I got to get my own car and get my own way around and I decided then I'd go myself and try the men's competitions and won a few of them and started playing well and then decided to go to the development or to give it a go.
0: It's 2017 you started doing the development tour. What were your early experiences of that?
2: Um, early experience. I just wanted to see how I compared again some of the best youths in the world at the time, you know. Uh, I just felt like it's now and ever to try. Didn't want to be too old before. Regret trying it, did
0: The following year, 2018, you had quite a deep run at the World Masters. You picked up four wins before... Losing to Scott Mitchell in the the last thirty two, at that time yeah. was that run quite an important one for, for your confidence? Yeah, um, I think that it, that was
2: probably it was probably one of the years where I was playing probably the best starts of my career so far. Um, everything was just going well. Didn't I? Didn't really fear anyone at the time. I just I just probably lost short. It was first time playing on the stage and probably behind the TV screens and probably got to me a wee bit but you know I'm happy what I've done
0: Of course and you went on from there 2019 was a good year for you as well particularly on that development tour you won a development tour title at the 13th event of of the year talk to me about that day what was it like to win your first PDC title
2: uh, It was to be fair, it was a very nerve-wracking day for me because I went over the previous year to Germany and I didn't play well, I think it was the heat, and didn't co- I didn't cope with the heat well at all and then I was kind of nervous going into that year because uh, I was only after recently signing with MDA and it was kind of the first event that Matt had sent me to so I wanted to do well and I don't know what happened. It just all fell well for me and ended up winning the whole, the very first one.
0: <laughs> and how did that, that link-up with, with Matt Ward and MDA come about?
2: Uh, I'm good mates with uh, Nathan Rafferty, who was, who's on Team MDA, and he got me in touch with Matthew. And Matthew was, he was, he was very nice and he he's definitely wanted to see what I could do and he said he'd take me on and we went from there.
0: Hmm. It's interesting you mentioned Nathan because in that run at the development tour, you, you beat him in the semis and then came Barry five four in the final. So I'm guessing they were you know two lads that you knew well or you know knew of and obviously very good games as well.
2: Yeah, they two two savage players and look what they're doing now. Um, it's um, are other pals from home? You know we see each other at competitions and just to play them and play well and to get the win was I think was. It was more, more good for me and I was just over the moon ready to win my first development or first hmm. BDC title
0: Is it more difficult I guess for, for you as a player if you're playing someone that you are friends with you are close with does that have an effect on you going into the game than if it was someone you'd never met before?
2: Uh, yeah it does but like we've, put, we've probably been over different competitions and we've played each other that many times it's kind of a habit now that you go over and you play one of your mates, and it's kind of just normal. Like you just both want to throw your best games against each other, give each other a good game, and I think that's kind of I kind of got used to that factor, and I think I just got used to it all together, and it doesn't faze me at all.
0: Was that development tour win a little bit sweeter because earlier in the year you'd got to the final of two development tours on on the same day and, and come up just short in both of them?
2: Yeah, I think um, I think getting to them two finals was probably a big key for me to actually win one. Because when I got to that, that was my third final, and I didn't feel any pressure. As in, oh, I'm in a final. You know, it's kind of more of let's do this. Hmm.
0: And then you know, fast forward to, to 2020, you get to play in the UK Open, uh, you know, and then soon after that, everything shut down because of the the pandemic. Did you feel that? you know the pandemic the timing and everything took away a lot of the momentum you've been building over the previous couple of years
2: yeah i think um, i think it just came at the wrong time for me because i was playing well and it was i think uh, i was getting better as the years went on and once the pandemic hits, it just kind of put a shutdown to everything and then i wouldn't like i didn't really see much darts through that time
0: were you someone that got involved in, in the online dart scene, or did you just choose to put them in the cupboard for a bit and uh, give it a rest?
2: I, I tried the online darts. I, 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 like I gave it a go. Um, I played a few competitions in it, and it's. I don't. I, it wasn't for me in the end, so I pulled away from it. Just kind of practiced at home and did a wee bit, but definitely the darts were going more in the drawer than the way than on the board. <laughs>
0: And I get, where along the, the career path for you then did your nickname, The Arrow, come in? Oh, um,
2: it was actually my brother that came up with it. We were sitting at home, we were watching the TV show Arrow, and he just says, there's a cool name, you should roll with it. You could be the Green Arrow just because of Ireland. And I just says, yep, that'll do. You know, I didn't have one, and I just said, it, it is, hopefully it'll stick. <laughs>
0: mention it at the start of the, the interview you you won your first wdf title earlier this month over in catalonia that was a yeah. you know part of a sort of a week-long sort of darty holiday week and i saw your tweet afterwards that you were on holiday and, and won it while you were there how much of the week were you actually over there for
2: myself and my girlfriend were over i think we were over wednesday and we were over we are over for a holiday and just um, I knew the darts was on, so as I said, we'd enter it on the last uh, like as we were coming home anyway. So it wasn't too far away from where we were staying, and but there was no main thought on the darts when we were out there. And then just the weekend came along, and he just says it'll just give us something to do really for the two days that we were there. And thank God it did go because I played really well. <laughs>
0: Did that help as well because you were going into those tournaments just, you know, I'm playing them because I'm here. I'm not chasing points. I'm not looking for anything. You were playing without pressure, essentially.
2: Yeah, um, I don't do the WDF. I don't really go to many of them competitions. I did the Irish Open last year, got to the quarters and that, and like I knew like, them points weren't going to do me any good for qualifying for anything. So, yeah, we were over there and we just we just wanted to enjoy it, really. And I think the break actually was was good as well because then you go into the day of the darts and you're not really worried about what's going to happen you just want to play a game of darts and everything just started going right
0: and that final with Andy Bartons you were 4-1 down in that game and then came back to to win it when you were 4-1 down what was going through your mind at that point
2: Um, I felt like I was was getting better as the legs went on Um, like he was playing exceptionally well but I think that I was getting better and I just knew that at some point I might get a chance. I might get a chance. I might get a chance and I'll have to take it. And eventually like I was getting chances and then I was taking my chances. And next thing I turned around and it was it was it was level game. And then it was officially game on in that last
0: one. You know, as as you say, you're not chasing that tour, you're not chasing those points, but winning the tournament with some decent players there like Andy that obviously sets you up yeah. well for, for the rest of the year.
2: Yeah, um, it's it's a great conference, but it's, uh, it really is like I I take a lot from it. Even this last week or so, I just even noticed my practice has been better because I just feel more relaxed in my throw and everything that's going on, and I think that it could be a good end of the year, hopefully for me.
0: And in terms of, of the last couple of months of this year, what's on the schedule for you? What are you going to be playing in between now and the end of December?
2: Uh, I plan to go to the last Challenger weekend of the year just to, just to get myself ready for Q School in January. And I'm hoping to play in the Modus League if, if I can get in.
0: And and I guess a last question for me, I know during the, the pandemic when... You know, all the PDC events were, were behind closed doors and it was a bit of a weird atmosphere you hit a nine darter uh, I mean talk to me about that moment and also had you hit one in, in competition before then
2: um, Yeah I've had, a few, I've had a few in competition at home but the one that I hit in QSCO last year was, 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 was big Like it was, it was to win a game and I was, I was playing really well I think I ended up with a 104 average because of it um, everything was just going right, and I didn't actually realise I hit it at the time, I just wanted to win the leg, and win the game at the minute, I was that in the zone for it, I just thought, that's just a checkout, you know.
0: When did it sink in that you'd uh, pin the 9-Dotter?
2: Um, I just, it pinned in, the it came up on the screen, 9-Dotter, or whatever it was, and next thing couple of the boys beside me were clapping and cheering and i i I realized if i I hit it and i was like this is this is is mental
0: (laughs) (laughs) oh brilliant well thank you so much for your time tonight shane i really appreciate it and i wish you the best of luck for for the rest of the year
2: no problem it's a pleasure
0: i really enjoyed talking to shane i hope i see him in action at the irish open and irish classic in november of this year which is a a wdf weekend i'm attending and hopefully then he's able to pick up that momentum on the pdc tour next year beginning with q school in, in january there's one wdf event this coming weekend and it's another gold it's the england classic down in ilfracombe in devon it's a, a busy weekend in the sense that the edo have packed a lot in there are pentathlons for the men and the women thursday and friday there's an unranked competition on the friday and then the, the ranking competition begins on the Saturday and there'll be two more World Championship places on the line in that tournament. The stage finals of the unranked competition and then the ranked one are on the Sunday and I, I do have some frustrations with that format because my feeling is that if a tournament is started on one day, it should be played to a conclusion on that day. I understand the logic of organisers wanting to spread it out in that way so that you've effectively got people staying at the venue for longer and therefore spending their money in the venue for longer. And I get that, but it means that the standard varies more. And in many ways, it's the same, you know, even on normal days when you see tournaments played to a conclusion on a day, players will get down to, say, the semi-finals and then they've got a break while you get the youth finals and then perhaps the Paradise finals and then maybe the women's semis and then then it's the men's semis and then you you get a long break. And I, I don't know, I guess from the player's point of view, you'd rather just you know throw, 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 continue that momentum throughout the day and then get to the business end and, and see what happens. But that's the way it's going to work anyway. Entries, I'm recording this on Monday, entries close tomorrow. And at the moment, they're very low. Uh, so that means it could be a great opportunity for, for some players to pick up some really good points. Uh, at the moment, there's 144 men entered in the, the men's classic and 61 in the women's and so the women's number's holding up reasonably well but the men's number is is really low i don't know whether it's the venue it being so close to the british open the challenge tour or or what maybe it's just the fact it's a single competition and players do prefer the the kind of double headers because you've got a couple of chances i'm not sure but either way there's a, a number of players I, i'll have my eye on uh, neil duff the world champion. I thought he was going to have a good weekend in, in Bridlington and ultimately ended up losing early in both competitions including one to, to Albert scherry from Malta. So, big surprise for Neil. But, you know, looked like he was playing a reasonable standard though and I'm sure he'll be determined to have a, a good weekend in, in Devon. Same goes for Luke Littler who I've seen acknowledge himself that didn't have the best weekend up in Brid. He'll want to rebound ahead of the Europe Cup the following week. Uh, Jared Cole he looked in really good nick in Bridlington and just lost out in very close games to the aforementioned Littler and Lewis Gurney. So I think he could put it all together and, and click maybe in Devon and maybe get a return to the World Championships. Uh, Kaifan Van was showed some really good form on the Challenge Tour. Uh, Jim McEwen, another one who played well in Bridlington without necessarily getting the results to, to match his performances. And of course, I love my eye on the, the Welsh contingent as well. Nick Kenny, Sam Kankit, Debbie Bynan, they'll all be in action at the Europe Cup the following week. Nick Kenny was frustrated with how it went in Bridlington and he needs a a big run, so it could well be that he picks it up there. Kankit's had a good year for the national team at county and Super League level, not necessarily done it on the WDF circuit as yet, so hopefully here he can put it together and have a a good run because he's obviously a very capable player. Same goes for Mark Blandford, a veteran of the game, but He's someone who's capable of playing very well and the sort of person who could have a deep run in a tournament like this. A couple of uh, other players that I want to say a word on as well. Lee Shuen, friend of the show. He's not played an awful lot since uh, featuring at Lakeside early this year but got a run out, a long overdue appearance at the Modus Live League or in the Modus Super Series as it is now last week and played really well, was part of that nine-dart shootout but threw some really good darts. And then Moreno Blom as well. He was also part of that Super Series week. It was a quite a chastening start to the week for the young Dutchman. Only won two or three of his first 15 games. But he rallied and got better as the week went on. Won, I think it was Group C, played in the finals night and then went up to Bridlington. He's obviously still very young. He's learning all the time. But uh, I think he could have a good weekend in Devon. And just two other players that I want to give a mention to as well. Robert Owen, very capable player, you know, now in the top two on the Challenge Tour, Order and Merit. He had a good weekend there, winning a the second title of the year. And he's the sort of player who could be dangerous here, clearly riding high. Uh, while, you know, Cornwall's Neil Mania, very, very capable county player. And he's someone who kind of could do what we've seen Reese Colley do this past weekend and, you know, turn up to this one event have a good run of it and, you know, book a World Championship debut. I'm not saying he will, but he's someone to to keep an eye on. I think the the one thing that frustrates me looking ahead to an England weekend is that, you know, we're coming off a British Open where, yes, there were some issues with the draw on the Saturday, but it was all run on Dark Connect. It was run super smoothly on that. You know, it's easy to follow as a fan. uh, And there was a good stream at the end of it. And now you're going over to an England weekend in Devon where... If they do what they've done for the events recently, and I can't see things changing, you'll be reliant on PDFs on their website being updated and someone manually refreshing and checking those PDFs to find out what's going on and then relying on the stream. Now, they are very good for streams, normally England. There is normally always one, but I don't know. You see these two back to back and it is a source of frustration that the Tri-Nations, which England are a part of, Seem to have embraced that technology and moving into that digital age. And then the EDO appear to kind of have regressed in some ways. So, I don't know. It's a source of frustration. and I'm sure you'll hear me moan about that. But uh, that's all for this week's show. Big thank you to Peter and Shane for their time and to you guys for listening. Your support is always greatly appreciated. I'll be back next week with episode 106, which will be a big Europe Cup preview featuring three guests – But in the meantime, you can follow me on Twitter at sinclair 97 You can follow the podcast at Inside the WDF. You can like the Facebook page, Inside the WDF. And you can rate, review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'll see you on the other side.